0: Lakers vs. Warriors, Draymond Green stifled Anthony Davis in Game 2, but his scoring was equally important. Sam Quinn Getty Images San Francisco, when he was compared to all-time greats Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain and Shaquille O'Neal, his coach didn't bat an eye. His teammate, LeBron James, said that his number 3 jersey would one day hang in the rafters of Crypto.com Arena or whatever it's called by that time. Talking head shows spent 48 hours debating whether he was the best player in the series, ahead of Steph Curry. It's safe to say that Draymond Green was sick of hearing about the great Anthony Davis. After admitting that he played like S in Game 1 when Davis put up a monster line of 30 points and 23 rebounds, Green made it his personal mission to make life miserable for Davis in Thursday night's Game 2 and was an instrumental factor in Golden State's near-perfect 127-100 victory to even the series. Warriors assistant Chris DiMarco showed me some film yesterday and said, I don't know who this guy is defensively, Green said after the Game 2 win. He showed me myself in the fourth quarter and he said, this is I guy I know. So show up that way tomorrow. Warriors, coach Steve Kerr wouldn't give details before the game, but he said he and his staff had noticed some adjustments they could make to help limit Davis, and they were certainly noticeable. The first was starting, Jamichael Green, in place of, Kevin Looney, who has been a titan for Golden State this postseason but allowed Davis to shoot 8 for 11 when they were matched up in Game 1. The lineup change had obvious offensive benefits, forcing the Lakers to guard first shooters instead of three, but it also allowed Draymond Green to be Davis's primary defender early and often. According to Second Spectrum data, via the Ringer's Kevin O'Connor, Draymond went from guarding Davis 34% of the time in Game 1 to 62% in Game 2. Davis had just two points in the first quarter and finished with 11 points on 11 field goal attempts. He took just one free throw, after going 8-for-8 in Game 1. Draymond was brilliant, Kerr said after the game. This is the guy who we have to have. He's our engine and we decided to put him on Davis tonight from the start. I thought he got us off to a good start defensively just with his aggressiveness. To Kerr's point, it was clear from the jump that Green wasn't about to let Davis get 30-and-20 again. He was physical, tactical, and used his long arms and active hands to disrupt Davis's forays into the lane. The Warriors also provided help much earlier, forcing Davis to be a playmaker, not his strong suit, despite dishing out five assists in Game 1. Davis had four assists in Game 2, but also committed four turnovers as Green hassled him to the point of frustration. Your browser can't play this video. Learn more. Watch on. Every once in a while, on a very special occasion, Green remembers that there's no explicit NBA rule that prohibits him from scoring. It happened in Game 5 against Sacramento when he logged over 20 points in a playoff game for the first time in five years. It happened again on Thursday when Green, who pledged to be more aggressive on both ends in Game 2 seized every open lane, both in transition and in the half-court, to force the Lakers to guard him. So many times when he's left unguarded with the ball, Green immediately looks to go into dribble handoff action with a shooter. On Thursday, he went straight to the rim. D-R-A-Y At ESPN, PIC.twitter.com slash 0 cnbd 9 geq Golden State Warriors, at Warriors, May 5, 2023 That was particularly effective against Davis, who, with no looney to guard, had Green as his primary matchup. If Green caught the ball at the free-throw line and he saw daylight, he attacked with the intention to score, even knocking down a Dre Nowitzki mid-range jumper. That forced Davis to at least have to respect Green as a scorer, which opened up passing and finishing lanes for Golden State. Green finished with 11 points on 10 field goal attempts 7 in the first half alone to go along with his usual collection of 11 rebounds, 9 assists and a steal. He's our Swiss army knife, and when he's getting downhill and he's finishing at the rim and he's hitting the open man, we are at our best, said Klay Thompson, who led the Warriors with 30 points in Game 2. So we'll look forward to this continued effort by Draymond. Just like Steph, we go as Dray goes. Since Game 2 was played on May the 4th we'd be remiss not to mention the force that Green played with. It's become a buzzword for the Warriors over the past couple seasons they uttered it 47 times in two weeks during last season's NBA Finals and Green is the ringleader of the Force Brigade. His physicality on defense and commitment to pushing the pace are contagious, sparking the Warriors to play like the Warriors we've all come to know over the past decade. He's the horse for the team that gets us going. We feed off his energy. He just did a great job tonight," Jamichael Green said of Draymond. Last game I went to him after the game and told him, you got to be more aggressive. Don't forget who you are. You in the league for a reason. And he showed that tonight. Green was brilliant on both sides of the ball in Game 2, which led to Golden State having a win in hand by the time the third quarter ended. The conundrum, of course, is how the Warriors continue to limit Davis as the series continues, starting with Saturday's Game 3 in Los Angeles. Even Green admitted that you can play perfect defense against Davis and still give up buckets, he's just that good, but it's all about sticking to the game plan, being aggressive and putting themselves in position to be successful, then living with the results. When you have a bounce-back game like we had tonight, and to win as decisively as we did, knowing it's going to be a whole lot tougher in Game 3 in LA, it's a big morale boost to give yourself life and belief that our game can carry on the road," Curry said after the win. So, excited about the opportunity and the challenge ahead. Watch now. The Milwaukee Bucks are in a pretty precarious position as far as 58-win teams go. The team fired head coach Mike Budenholzer on Thursday afternoon and now begin to look for a replacement, but that's not the only major question facing the franchise in the coming months. Two of their best players, Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, can walk as free agents this offseason. Middleton, Lopez and Drew Holiday are all in their 30s. The franchise has an unusual ownership structure in which the team's governorship and the decision-making power that comes with it shifts every five years between incumbent owner Wes Edens and the incoming Jimmy Haslam, who has widely been criticised for the job he has done as owner of the Cleveland Browns. And yet, the Bucks have undoubtedly one of the most desirable jobs in all of basketball. Giannis Antetokounmpo is just that valuable. Budenholzer won nearly 70% of his games and a championship in Milwaukee. Antetokounmpo's presence will give his successor the chance to do even more, so long as the rest of the roster is managed properly. Virtually every coach on the market will seek out the Bucks' job if they are approached for it, and as such, they should be able to attract almost any candidate that they want. So who will be their next coach? Here are the five likeliest candidates as Milwaukee begins its search. Charles Lee. Don't worry, we'll get to the big names momentarily. For now, we have to start with the Budenholzer tree, which has become one of the most common sources of NBA head coaches in recent years. Quinn Snyder and Taylor Jenkins both built perennial winners after leaving Budenholzer, and Darvin Ham has the Los Angeles Lakers competing for a championship in his first year as a head coach. With that in mind, the Bucks might keep an open mind when it comes to hiring a first-year coach and there's a potential fit already on their bench. Charles Lee, Budenholzer's associate head coach, has interviewed for several jobs in recent years and is currently in the running to take over the Detroit Pistons. Just 38 years old, Lee would be one of the NBA's youngest head coaches, but that doesn't mean he lacks experience. He's worked for Budenholzer since 2014 and could keep the bulk of his system in place while making the few necessary tweaks the Bucks would need to make it back over the hump. That approach has proven to be a viable formula in the past. It worked out pretty well for the next candidate on this list. Nick Nurse The 2018 Raptors were about as similar to the 2023 Bucks as any team seeking a new head coach could realistically be. Like the Bucks, the Raptors were a number one overall seed that had grown stale. They ultimately chose Nurse, one of their own assistant coaches, to replace Dwayne Casey. The result was an immediate championship. If the Bucks don't think they need to overhaul their entire scheme in order to reach the mountaintop again, Nurse has a track record of optimizing an already strong roster. He since developed a reputation as one of the NBA's best tacticians. Whereas Budenholzer is known for his dogmatic adherence to drop coverage, Nurse will try just about anything on defence. Aggressive blitzes, zones, box-and-ones, triangle-and-twos, if you can think it up, Nurse has probably experimented with it at some point or another. He was the NBA's 2020 Coach of the Year after earning a number 2 seed for the Raptors despite the losses of Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, and now he is among the most in-demand coaches on the market. But Nurse's biggest weakness in Toronto has been Milwaukee's greatest flaw under Budenholzer, half-court offense. Nurse won a championship with Kawhi Leonard generating good looks in the half-court, but ever since, the Raptors have grown reliant on transition to score their points. Was that on Nurse, or the roster he was given? The truth lies somewhere in between, but if the Bucks decide on another candidate, this is one of the likelier reasons why. Frank Vogel when a championship caliber job opens up, we have to mention any available championship winning coaches. Vogel has been overshadowed on that front this off season by Nurse, but his track record is longer. He built number 1 defenses in both Indiana and Los Angeles, and even though he needed LeBron James to win it all with the latter, he came as close to toppling James in the East as any other coach did during his 8-year final streak. Vogel isn't quite as creative as Nurse defensively. His preference is to play the drop-coverage Budenholzer run in Milwaukee, but he was perfectly willing to adjust his scheme in Los Angeles when circumstances called for it. The 2020 Lakers had one of the most adaptable defences in recent memory, with star big man Anthony Davis even successfully defending Butler, the wing that has so vexed Milwaukee in recent years, for long stretches of the 2020 finals. But like Nurse and Budenholzer, half-court offense has been a weakness of Vogel's even with James running his team. Vogel deserves an interview here, but he'll likely begin the process as an underdog to Nurse. Mike Dentoni. Who do you hire when you need to fix your half-court offense? Mike Dentoni. The architect of three number-one offenses with the Phoenix Suns and a fourth with the Houston Rockets hasn't been a head coach since 2020 and has been out of the sport for the past two seasons but has given no indication that he has done coaching permanently. If the Bucks believe they can maintain their defensive strength by virtue of their roster talent, hiring a coach devoted entirely to fixing the offense makes plenty of sense. There isn't a better offensive coach available than Tony. At 71, age might be a concern for D'Antoni. Greg Popovich is the oldest head coach in NBA history at 73 so it isn't clear how long D'Antoni would be able to lead the Bucs for. This could be a drawback or it could be seen as a potential positive. The Bucs could hire D'Antoni without committing to a long-term contract and could potentially even talk Lee into remaining as the coach-in-waiting. With an aging roster around Antetokounmpo, the possibility of a full reset in the near future is quite real. If D'Antoni is the right coach for right now, that might be enough to get him this job. Whoever doesn't survive the playoffs None of us expected Budenholzer to be fired before the playoffs began. Here we are. The pressure of the All-In NBA frequently costs coaches their jobs when they lose surprisingly in the postseason. Doc Rivers was fired after his Clippers collapsed in the Orlando bubble. Carlisle was axed after the Mavericks blew a 2-0 lead on the Clippers a year later. Big-name coaches frequently become available in April and May nowadays. This season may not be an exception. We don't know who those coaches will be yet. Could Philadelphia make a change if Rivers fails to lead the 76ers past the Celtics? How about Michael Malone in Denver if the Nuggets blow their 2-0 lead over Phoenix? Until we know which coaches are available and which ones aren't, it's impossible to say with any clarity who the top candidates for the Bucs will be. Their next coach might still be employed elsewhere right now.